0: This morning is obviously we talked about as it, Palm Sunday, and and Palm Sunday was a day that was celebrated. Um, the, the 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 truth is that actually we celebrate Palm Sunday, but it's really truly Palm Monday, and there's a reason for that. Um, and in Scripture, because Jesus actually is the sacrificial lamb, and it deals with when Jesus is presented in the temple, but. More importantly, Palm Sunday is that day where Jesus begins coming into the city of Jerusalem and as he comes into the city of Jerusalem, he is beginning to fulfill the promise that God has. That the time is now for the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus will die and rise again. It's interesting that Palm Sunday... For somebody like myself who grew up in the church, Palm Sunday was a little bit confusing for me. Because I was always told that this was when Jesus the King rode into the city. And they, you know, I don't know if you, if for those of you who grew up in the church, one of the things that was really common was you'd cut out paper like palms. And then you'd wave them around, right? And and, and people would walk through. And so it was always like this kind of festive event with palms, and then it was like, what is the big deal? Like, I don't get it, you're right? And then it was always like, well, they, they celebrate them one day, and the next day they don't. I, don't. I don't get it. I don't understand what this means. And I think that's true for a lot of us at times within the church, that Palm Sunday becomes this kind of lead-up Sunday, which says, okay, here's the marker of Jesus. This is just the Sunday to get us ready for Easter, But the truth is, is there's more to it than that. There's more truth to it than just simply kind of this this preparation Sunday. The emphasis on Palm Sunday is generally the idea of kind of the calm before the storm. The, The celebrated arrival of the king followed by the impending rejection of the people. And we're told in the Gospels that Jesus came down and he came, rode down into the city of Jerusalem and it's interesting uh, when I was in Israel in 2008. One of the things was that they they feel like they, they know the road, or at least they certainly know that, that the mountaintop that he rode down into the valley and then up into the city as he came with this on this, this this donkey on this mule. And it's it it's interesting because it's at a high point, and so in the city you can actually see this kind of king or this person coming down the side of the hill. You can see how that would have occurred. But the amazing part of it is, it wasn't just that Jesus was coming down this this hill and into the city to be presented as the the sacrificial lamb for our sin, but it was that he was actually fulfilling God's promise and his word. In Zechariah 9.9, it speaks of the coming Messiah and it says this, it says rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion, shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem, behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the full of a donkey. The Jews understood that as a fulfillment of God's promise. That it was important that Jesus was riding in on this donkey as the declared and heralded king. And so it was more than just this kind of calm before the storm. It was a reminder of the faithfulness of God. It was declaring God's faithfulness to fulfill his word, that God had promised that he would send a Messiah, and here was this Messiah coming just as had been told. And so the heart of Palm Sunday is really about God's faithfulness, the time for the promised Messiah to redeem his people, and that time had come. And so this morning, we're going to look at Acts 10, and we're going to look specifically at the first part of Acts 10, and we're going to see that it's only through God's loving faithfulness that mankind is drawn to him. And experiences salvation through the righteousness of Christ. So let's go ahead and stand together as we look at this passage together. Acts chapter 10. We're going to start in in verse 1. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see something unique. And so as we're going through this passage, we're going to see the gospel go into what remains to be all of the world the gospel begins to go to the Gentiles. And this is what it says. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision, and an angel of God come in and say to him, he said simply this, what is it? And he said to him, your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together, his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why do you send, why you sent for me? all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Father, may that be our prayer this morning. That Lord, that we are here to hear all that has been commanded by you. Father, may it be your word that speaks this morning. May you move me aside. May it be you who brings your word. Father, may I simply just be a servant of yours. Father, may the things that are upon our heart this morning, may we lay them at your feet. May we give them to you. May we release them to you, God. Lord, you are faithful to deal with those things that we place at your feet. And so, God, may you stir our hearts this morning. May you encourage us. May you convict us in areas where we need to be challenged. Father, may you teach us. Lord God, this morning, may we leave a changed people as we grow in our understanding of your faithfulness. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Knowing God's loving faithfulness toward mankind enables believers to immediately obey his leading and confidently minister to others without partiality. Knowing God's loving faithfulness toward mankind enables believers to immediately obey his leading and confidently minister to others without partiality. This loving faithfulness. That's what we're looking at this morning, is this loving faithfulness of God. Now, up to the point in, in Acts, what we have seen has been that the gospel has only been preached in Judea. It's only been preached in the, the regions of Jerusalem and Judea. And then in chapter 8, we saw it go out into the region of Samaria. Well, the amazing part about this story and the hard part for even Peter in this story is that now the gospel is is going out into the world. The gospel being that Jesus died for our sin because we are sinners. And, And that he died for that sin, he took the weight of our sin upon him and in essence was made sin for us, took the penalty of our sin and declared us just or right, justified or right before him, because he is both the judge, right, and the mediator for us. That he comes and he has declared us innocent now because he took the penalty for our sin. And for all those who repent of their sin and confess Jesus as Lord, there is salvation to him. That's the gospel. As a part of that gospel is the fact that when we come to Jesus Christ that we are then given His Spirit to live within us, to live in the power of Christ so that we might walk in righteousness. And so the gospel now is coming to Caesarea, a Gentile territory, an area that it hasn't gone out to before, an area that the Jews look upon and they consider the Gentiles like dogs. They see them as worthless and dirty people See, the Jews were given this covenant by God to walk with God, and and it seemed like this is where it was supposed to be. And the Samaritans, who they despised, were kind of, for lack of a better word, half Jew and half other nation. But now the gospel's going to a people who has nothing to do with the nation of Israel. It's to go out to those who, in our eyes, in terms of, and now I'm speaking from this early century Jewish perspective, the gospel going out to these quote unquote dogs, these people that have not the promise of God and have not walked in the the sacrifices of the Lord. And now the gospel comes. And it goes into the Gentile territory. And what we see here is the beginning of the gospel coming into this area so that it might go to all the world. And so in verse one through two, it says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms genderly to the people and prayed continually to God. Now, Cornelius was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. And he was mostly, probably most likely a part of what was called the, the association or the God fearers. They were a group of, of people who were living And in Caesarea, who were not Jewish, but who were attending synagogues. And because they had not been circumcised, they could not uh, be allowed really into the the inner circles of the synagogues or into the workings. And so they they weren't considered part of the synagogue. They weren't considered part of the, the Jewish faith, but rather they were kind of sitting on the outside, believing that there was a God, but not really having any other answers. And so they were kind of seen as sitting on the outside looking in. It says here that Cornelius was a devout man. He was one who feared God. He he had an awe for God. He gave alms, gave charity generously. And he prayed continually to God. He sought Him. He sought out God. Now, there's no doubt that Cornelius was a good man. But the picture here is that Cornelius is a man who doesn't know God. Because the way to know God is through Jesus. And the point here that he's beginning to make is that Cornelius needs the hope of Christ. And so while he's seeking God, he has yet to fully know God. Because he doesn't have Christ. Amazing part that's here as well, though, is this. That we already know God is at work within Cornelius' life, right? John 6, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him upon the last day. Before we ever respond to the message of Christ... God is at work within us. He's beginning to regenerate our soul, our hearts. And so there is this work that's already beginning in Cornelius' life. And what we see here then is a picture of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness towards mankind. That's what we begin to see. This passage in, we look at this text it's often focuses simply on the impartiality of God but it's more than that it's about the faithfulness of God it's about God's faithfulness towards mankind and the first way that we see this the first way that God's loving faithfulness towards mankind is demonstrated is through the fulfillment of his promises Notice what it says in verse 1-8. through And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. So Cornelius is faithfully seeking God. We've already seen that God is the one who's actually at work first. Now Cornelius is faithfully seeking him. And so Cornelius' prayers haven't gone unheard and his charity has been received by God. God sees these things. But what's more is that what we're beginning to see a picture of and the encouragement that we can receive in this is that God is faithful to reveal himself to those who are seeking him. Proverbs says this, Proverbs eight seventeen says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Cornelius is consistently and continually seeking God. It's important that we understand this because I think at times within the body of Christ, we understand that God is actually the one that opens our eyes and he's the one that's drawing us towards him. But this side of heaven we need to be a people who are seeking him. We can know that God is doing that work in our heart and giving us a desire for him, but then we have to be people who are also seeking him diligently. And the only way to seek him diligently is through Christ, and as we seek him diligently, his promise is this, that he will reveal himself. I think sometimes People say, well, I, I asked God to show himself, and he didn't show himself. One, two, three, four times of asking is not seeking. Seeking is, do I really have a desire to know this God? The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the God of faithfulness who fulfills his promises, the God who, who has sent us a Messiah in Jesus Christ. Do I really desire to know him? Jeremiah 29, 13, and I want to encourage you to write this down. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. One of the great things that we can see here is that Cornelius, this Gentile, seeks God, and we have a picture of Him where He will find Him because God is faithful to fulfill His promise. It gives us confidence to those who are seeking Him. And if you're genuinely desiring to know God, He will reveal Himself to you. That's His promise. And that promise is fulfilled. Cornelius was seeking him and what God was telling him was, listen, your prayers have been heard. I see you and I know you. It's important because God has called us to seek him. And even though God is the one who opens our eyes and draws us to him, we are called to seek him. His faithfulness is seen through the fulfillment of his promises. It's seen in verses that we just read, like Zechariah 9, 9, when we see the prophecy fulfilled of the Messiah coming and riding on a colt or on a donkey. Over and over, God fulfills his promises. And his faithfulness is demonstrated to us through the fulfillment of his promises. For most of us, we can remember when promises were broken. For all of us, we probably can recall at least one time that a promise was broken. God's a promise keeper. He's not a promise breaker. And so if I understand that God keeps his promises then one of the things that begins to happen is I begin to see the picture of God's faithfulness at work. The second way that we see his faithfulness towards mankind demonstrated, we see it demonstrated through the revelation of his word, the revealing of his word. In verses nine through 16, it says, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, Peter had gone up onto this this rooftop to pray. Now, it's a little bit interesting, by the way, because Peter's actually staying with a tanner, which a tanner is dealing with dead cow hides. He's really not supposed to be touching anything unclean. The tanner is unclean. So Peter actually is up on this rooftop. It says about the sixth hour, which is at noontime, which is not a typical prayer time. It means that he's probably missed breakfast during the day, he's up on top of this, this rooftop, and you can imagine, he's sleepy up there. These were areas that were usually covered. And so he goes up, and it says that he experiences this trance, this kind of vision that comes upon him. And this voice says, as he sees the sheet descend with all these animals, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, Peter's response is like much of our response. Our first default is no or you're wrong, right? How many times have we seen Peter do this, right? Peter's response to God is, uh, no, Lord. Um, Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean, right? So Peter's probably here in a moment, you can imagine, he's thinking, is this some sort of test? What is this, right? Right? And then notice what God does. He tells him simply, what God has made clean, do not call common. And then notice what he does beyond this. He says this happened three times. (laughs) Happened three times. So Peter's like, "Uh, okay, I'm getting the picture now. Getting the picture. But it's God who is revealing it to him. You see, Peter Peter had the same perspective of the Gentiles that everybody else did. He was struggling to understand that the Gentiles could possibly be clean. More importantly, he really didn't fully grab this because he already knew that food had been made clean. And so he begins to look at this and work through it. But the beauty of it is is that in the areas that Peter didn't understand, God brought understanding. And so we see a God who is actively revealing his word to us. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness that's being demonstrated towards us. When we read God's word, God is still at work in revealing his truth and illuminating his truth towards us. It doesn't mean that God's word changes. It means that God is still teaching us. And so in this moment, God begins the process of revealing his truth to Peter. And Peter doesn't understand it in the moment. Ever been there when you've read the word of God and you just can't quite get it? Right? Ever been there where you've read the same passage for about the 20th time and all of a sudden you go, oh, I get it. Or you read it through and you've gone through a passage or section of Scripture repeatedly over and over and over again and you never see something jump out and all of a sudden it jumps out and you're like, boy, that's a new insight I've never seen before. (laughs) That's God's revealing work, his revelation at work. In the same way, just because Peter didn't understand it in the moment, didn't mean that he wasn't revealing himself to him. God was at work. And it's in those moments that we begin to see his faithfulness towards us because he has not left us. But he is continually revealing himself to us. John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you The Holy Spirit is constantly at work within us, teaching us. He's the one that gives understanding to his word. John 16, 12 through 15 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's God that's revealing his word to us. The third way that we see his faithfulness demonstrated to mankind is through the purpose of his people. The purpose of his people. Notice in verse 17 through 23, it says, And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Cornelius was directed by an angel to send for you to come. Peter's still working through this vision. He's still gaining understanding of God's word, and these people come. Notice throughout this entire text that everything that God says is true. He says, go to Joppa and find Peter. This is where you will find him. It's where they found him. He tells Peter, listen, there are people downstairs waiting for you. Go to them and accompany them. And he goes to them. And then he comes back and he shares. He shares with the people. And what is being seen over and over again is God's word is faithful. It can be trusted. And so this faithfulness is seen. And so Peter is pondering the vision. He's still trying to understand what God is doing and all of a sudden, these men show up. These men show up looking for him, and God says, listen, there are some people down there. You need to go and see them, and not only that, you need to accompany them. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that would be quite interesting to me, right? To, to come in and say, gosh, there are these people that are here. They've been sent And God has just spoken to you and said, listen, I need you to go with them. Well, here's the beauty of it. God's faithfulness of going, sending. God's given us the privilege to be used as a part of his work, as a part of bringing fulfillment to his promises. Have you ever thought that when you go to share the gospel that you may be fulfilling God's promise? Have you ever thought that it's an honor to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people, that God is working to you, through you to fulfill his purposes? So it's not just that God comes and he saves and he redeems, but he grants purpose to his people in sending his people out. And better yet, gives him his spirit so that we might walk in his righteousness, that we might walk with his wisdom, and that we might be useful for him. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. See, last week we saw that God desired to use believers to be the comforting presence of the spirit in people's lives. Now what we get to see is not only the comforting presence of the Spirit in people's lives, but we get to actually be a part of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might know who Jesus is. That's awesome. See, what he's getting at here is the Holy Spirit is at work within his people that we are to be the presence of God to others. We're to reveal God's glory. That's an awesome and exciting truth. We get the privilege of being the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. The Holy Spirit gets to work right through us. And then we get the privilege of going and sharing with the message of salvation, the message of hope, and the message of God's grace with people so that they too might walk in the freedom of God's salvation. Man, that is an honoring and awesome task for his church, is it not? That's what he's desiring from us. I was thinking about this going, do I ever really look at going and sharing my faith Is this awesome experience that God's gonna fulfill his power and work through me? Uh, not as often as I think I should. I think a lot of times I go into situations going, okay, what's gonna happen when I do this, right? God desires us, but not simply desires us to go. We need to see that that's part of God's faithfulness that he wants to use us in this way. If we have a father, and the scripture tells us that we do, that loves to give greater gifts than any human father could, the greatest gift that he can give us is the ability to walk in the power of his spirit so that others might know Christ. Christ. Talking with a person recently who makes medical products. And this person doesn't know Jesus. But he spent probably 15 to 20 minutes excitedly telling me about what he does and how his product saves lives and how it's the best product in the world. We're sitting at a dinner table. He looked at me and he said, Tim, you should have had our products inside you. <laughs> it's too late now, buddy. Right? I looked at him and said, I probably should have. After hearing how you sold this, I buy, you know? But I thought, do I share the same excitement for saving, sharing the life-saving message of Jesus Christ with people? Do I really see it as an honor and privilege To share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that this is God's faithfulness demonstrated to me, that I get to be a part of his greatest gift? It's challenging. Peter is listening to this, and even though Peter doesn't fully understand yet what God is doing and why God is sending him over to Caesarea, and even understand that the gospel is for everyone, he doesn't grab that yet. He goes. He goes because he sees God at work. We often think in terms of faithfulness is the fact that God won't let us down. Well, God won't let us down in terms of that he will be faithful to keep his promises. But we also need to see faithfulness into response that faithfulness also has a response of doing what is best for a person and allowing them to walk in the freedom that God has given. When a spouse is faithful to their spouse, when a husband is faithful to their wife or their wife is faithful to their husband, it's not just about that they get to keep the status quo. It's that they look to give what is best to the other. What God is giving to us is his best. And a part of that faithfulness is that he has given us the purpose of declaring his truth to others. And so do we see that as an honor and as a privilege? Acts 1.8 simply says this. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Peter's going, and he is coming, and he is fulfilling God's purpose. He gets to be a part of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We ought to rejoice over that. That ought to excite us as the body of Christ that we get to be a part of what God is doing. Hmm. Janusz Korczak who was a German citizen during the Second World War was overseeing an orphanage in Germany of Jews. The orphanage had 192 Jewish children, and when those children were imprisoned and taken to the gas chambers, Korzak was given the opportunity as a German citizen to leave the children. The last pictures of Korzak alive were with him holding the hands of the children as they walked into the gas chamber, him dying with them. And he made a quote. He said, I exist not to be loved and admired, but to love and act. It's not the duty of those around me to love me. Rather, it's my duty to be concerned about the world and about man. God has called us to be the people that bring his gospel and his truth. We live in a culture that desires and demands its rights. And yet Jesus laid down his right for us. We need to be a people who lay down our rights for others and most importantly for Christ. When we start hearing words in our mouths like, I deserve, well then we need to start talking about what we really deserve. As sinners, what we really deserve is death. But it's by God's grace and mercy that we have life. And when those words, deserve, come out of my mouth, know that we're not speaking from a place of humility, but we're speaking from a place of pride, of self-preservation and self-glorification. Because our lives in Christ are about what we don't deserve. It's about the mercy and grace of God. And so we, too, need to live with an attitude of mercy Grace, And so Peter, even though he does not fully understand, steps forward and is obedient to God. And God demonstrates his faithfulness through the purpose of his people. The fourth way that he demonstrates his faithfulness is through the last part of this passage, which is probably the most well-known part of this passage. But it's through his impartiality. It's through his impartiality. It says that Peter came and he stood with Cornelius and as he entered the home, Cornelius bowed and fell at his feet. Now there's two reasons here that Cornelius would bow and fall at his feet. One is possibly thinking that because his prayers had been answered that Peter himself may have had an element of divinity to himself part of God. Now it brings up the point that when people don't know the gospel, they will worship something. And it's one of the reasons that we are called to proclaim the gospel so that they might know the truth because if they don't know the truth, even if they are seeking God, but if they've not heard the truth, they will worship the wrong thing. We hear things all the time in our own culture, do we not? I have a family member who always talks and he shares things constantly with me and will say, hey, guess what? The universe. And and it's the reason it's not, it's tragic to me because his flesh cries out and says, listen, there is a God, but I don't know who he is. And he knows that there is something. And so as we've talked about the gospel, well, his heart is still resistant to the gospel. But that's God's job to change his heart. The truth is is that we need to be clear about where the source of hope is. We bring that message. This message is to be a a complete message that Christ has died for all, for all who believe. There's no partiality. It's not based upon... Race, it's not based upon sex, it's not based upon anything. There is no partiality. Male, female, any nationality, any color, for all who believe. For all who believe. And so this gospel comes and Notice what Peter says, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. So here's the thing. The other thing that he does, Peter does, is that when Cornelius bows at his feet, he raises him up and says, I too am a man. Stand up, rise up. I, too, am a man. You know what he does in that moment? He says, I'm the same as you. I'm the same as you. I, too, am a person that needs the mercy of God. I, too, am a person who needs the grace of God. Somebody once asked me, how is it possible for a murderer to to inherit the kingdom of God? I remember sitting with him and saying, listen, God says that we're all murderers. Our sin all put Jesus on the cross. And that all sin, whether small or large, is worthy of death. The beauty of it is, I don't get what I deserve. And the beauty for the murderer who comes to Christ, who repents of their sin and turns their life and confesses it towards Jesus, confesses Jesus as Lord Guess what? He too inherits the kingdom of God. In this moment, Peter took Cornelius and he stood him up and he said, I too am a man. And I believe that it was in those moments that Peter began to understand what was happening and what was at work where at that point he's able to look and say, listen, you know it's unlawful for me to be even in your house. But you know what? What God has called clean, I'm not going to call common. And so, there is no partiality in the gospel. And so the gospel begins to go into the nations, into the world. And Romans 1:18 through 21 tells us something. It tells us something even more. It says simply this about the world. that God exists. That's why man turns to many things because they don't know the gospel or because they harden their hearts towards the gospel. Romans 2.11 goes on and it says this. It says, But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Listen. It doesn't matter if you're a good man like Cornelius. And it doesn't matter if somebody within your family knows Jesus. It really doesn't matter how many times you read your Bible. What matters is that you know Jesus. It's about your repentance of sin and confession of Jesus as the Lord See, what we have a picture here is a good man in Cornelius who does not know Jesus. And we see Peter bringing the gospel to Cornelius, and we will see next week that his household responds to the truth of the gospel and the hope of the gospel. See, our salvation is in Jesus. Our salvation is in his work, not our own. And so how then should we respond to God's loving faithfulness? Well, it's clear throughout this passage in humble obedience. In humble obedience. Why? Because we can go confidently knowing that God will fulfill his promises. Why? Because he will reveal his word. Even when I don't understand it, he will give me understanding. And it may not be in my timing, but it will be in his. Why? Why? Because of the purpose of his people. Why? Because he's impartial. God shows no favorites. May we be a body this morning on Palm Sunday in 2018 who no longer looks at Palm Sunday just as a day of waving green palm leaves and pictures of Jesus riding on the donkey, but may we see it as a day of God's loving faithfulness demonstrated to his people. And may we we be a people who respond with humble obedience in response to his loving faithfulness towards us. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Lord God, may we be a people that live lives of obedience and submission to you. Not because we have to, God, but because we get to. Father, may we rejoice over the loving faithfulness that you've demonstrated towards us, that you've demonstrated towards mankind. And Father, may we no longer see our lives as our own, but God, may we see our lives as yours. May we see them as having been bought with a price and having the privilege to serve you with our all. And we ask this in your name, amen. Amen.